The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. His name is Avishai Weinberger. Avishai is a screenwriter, um, a director. You may know some of his work. He wrote and directed a short film called Third Date that was distributed by Alter on YouTube. Distributed, I don't know if that's the right word, but it was it was licensed. I think that's the word Avishai used. Licensed by Alter. If you know Alter, they're a very cool YouTube channel that put out a lot of really awesome shorts. And um, so he got picked up by Alter, and I think his, at the time of recording this, third date has like 1.4 million views, which is insane. Um, very cool, but then also, you know, Avishai is a top 50 nickel semifinalist for his script Precipice, I believe it was. Um, yeah, he's got a lot going on. He, he, he has quite a few accolades, and he's a very nice guy. In this episode, we talk about him as a writer. We talk about his, you know, um, being a Jew, um, all that comes with that, because I was very ignorant to Judaism. And I just had a lot of questions. I was just curious because I've, I've always been curious, but I've never really asked those questions. And I know that Avishai wears it on his sleeve. So it was cool hearing that. And I think it's a very cool, unique thing about him that he brings to his uh, you know, his identity as a writer. We talk a lot about like, um, brand on here. And I think just on Twitter, you know, it's like, uh, Avishai very much wears that on his sleeve and it's a great thing. Um, outside of that guys, you can still watch CAPTCHA on YouTube for a little bit longer on my YouTube. It's a short film I wrote and directed a sci-fi thriller horror comedy is what we called it about a, paranoid man who when his roommate has difficulty completing an internet captcha he starts to think that maybe he's living with a robot it's dumb it's funny but also i think i like to think there's some cool tension in there and uh, i hope you guys like it we actually just got into our home hometown festival film festival st louis filmmaker showcase uh which is very cool we weren't entering any festivals this year we really just want to like start putting up shorts on YouTube and just trying to like see what the, if the internet can do its thing and maybe we save some money and get to the same outcome that a lot of people do through festivals. Um, that's the game plan, but we still wanted to do our hometown one. I learned the other day that we're probably going to have to put the film on private on YouTube for a month or two. We, we screen, if you're in or around St. Louis, we're going to be screening July 22nd at 9 PM at the high point theater in St. Louis. Um, it's going to be very cool. If you can make it out, come out, say hi to me. I'll be kind of awkward, but I'll still say hi and acknowledge you. Uh, I'll be a quiet guy in the corner drinking a LaCroix that I smuggled in. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I might have to put the film on private for a second, but until I do that. It's still up there right now. Go take a look at it if you'd like. Also, Ethan and Edna is on there, and Tin Box, uh, my my student film, is up there too. Um, you can watch anything on my YouTube, and also subscribe to me. I'm trying to like kind of build up the YouTube thing. 
So subscribe to Andy Compton on YouTube, not the English DJ of the same name, but rather the American writer and director. And if you hear anything in the show that you've learned something from, you think it's going to make you a better writer, you think you've had a similar experience, uh, shout us out on Twitter and tell us about it at Social Writer Pod. You know, tag us up, share your experience. I would love to have like a little community of people like talking about the episodes uh, if you guys want to. You know, I think it's it's fun to talk about podcast episodes that you listen to. I have a few friends who we all listen to Smartless and we all listen to Conan Needs a Friend. Don't listen to those podcasts. Listen to mine. Just kidding. Those podcasts are amazing. But um, it's fun to talk about them and, you know, you don't feel like you're just in your own bubble listening to podcasts. So have some conversations about it on Twitter and, uh, you know, tag us up. I'd love to be a part of it. But um, that's it for now, guys. Let's hop into this episode with Avishai Weinberger. Okay, awesome. So Avishai Weinberger, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, it's just great to meet you, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you, too. Mm-hmm. Cool. So... Let's jump in. You know, the first thing I would like to do, and I would have to pull it up, and it's probably going to pain you the way it pains other people when I do this, but I just want to read your bio that you have on Coverfly for um, (laughs) everyone who is listening to get to know you at first. So Avishai is a writer and director from Brooklyn, New York. After graduating from a lifetime at Jewish Day School, where he spent much of his time making zombie movies with his friends, I love that, Uh, he attended, is it Mount... Is it Malé Film School? Malé. Malé? Malé. Yeah. Malé Film School in Jerusalem for a year, followed by four years at NYU Tisch. It's Tish Tish. I don't know. I should I should not have volunteered to read this. Um, <laughs> no, you're doing great. You're doing great. It's, okay. it's yeah, so I went to Malé in Israel and Tish in New York. Okay, awesome. Uh, his thesis film, a horror short called Third Date, which I just watched, uh, it was great. Played at festivals around the country and was subsequently licensed by Alter, where it currently has over 1.3, 1,300,000 views. So like 1.3 million, uh, crazy number, just an insane number. Um, yeah, I'm going to check real quick because I think that's out of date. <laughs> yeah, it might be more. It might be more. Um, I just watched it, but I, I didn't, I don't remember looking. Yeah, but it is now me... uh, well over 1.4 and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So like 150 K that's a big deal. His feature sci-fi and horror screenplays have won awards in numerous festivals like the New York city horror film festival and shriek fest and have placed highly in competitions such as the page awards and the Academy nickel fellowship. His screenplay precipice, which made the nickel top 50 is currently in development with nightshade entertainment, Fairville entertainment and Mandalay pictures. So amazing. Um, Avishai lives in Brooklyn, where he enjoys singing with his family, making chicken soup for Shabbos? Uh, Shabbos. Shabbos. And writing it out. the Jewish Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that I see you posting about it all the time, and I love the pride that you have in it, but I never knew the correct pronunciation. And I just put myself in a scary position to be wrong like five different (laughs) times in your bio. Well, here's the thing. It's not even the right pronunciation. If we want the right pronunciation, it's Shabbat. You know, oh, okay. It's, yeah, there's just so many dialects over time. So uh, right. you know, different parts of the world, different millennia. So yeah. I call it Shabbos. Nice, my, yeah. Uh, very Ashkenazi Jewish self. Yeah, cool. And I feel like I'm going to learn so much about that here. 
that I don't know. I honestly like I don't know much about like Judaism in general, like outside of like the maybe mainstream things that people just pick up through like media and things like that. But I don't know a ton about it. So I've always found it really cool and interesting that like, you know, you're very much like, you know, on Twitter, like you put that part of yourself forth all the time in, in the forefront. And I've always found it interesting and just wanted to know more about it. But um, sure. But yeah, before no, I appreciate that. that. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, so much of like, you know, we, we talk about this on the show a lot, but like, you know, just so much of this is like branding yourself and like kind of just like showing the ways in which you are unique. And um, and I think that you were that part of yourself well, um, in addition to other things. But like, I think like that's something I tell newer writers, maybe who are just starting out and finding their footing is like, that's an important part of the recipe is, um, you know, finding those things within you that separate you from everyone else and make you unique because we're all unique in some way. Yeah, I was on a set in, uh, I think it was 2016 as a PA on a feature. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, I wasn't the only Jew there, but I was, I think maybe the most visibly Orthodox. And there was a, there was a contingent of the crew who was sort of jokingly, jokingly, not joking, kind of say like, but you can't really be Orthodox and work in film because so much happens on, you know, Saturdays and Friday nights and, you know, in like keeping kosher so hard. And it was just one of those things where I kind of realized to myself that, you know, losing it might feel a bit like losing a limb. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's just so intrinsically part of my identity, like whatever, whatever I might believe in terms of religiosity, um, it's just so ingrained in me that I, I feel like it's identity. And so, mm. I've leaned into it, uh, you know, especially in the face of the worst possible people on Twitter who, uh, <laughs> who sure, who sure love to accuse me of, uh, all the world's problems, but, uh, it's, yeah, yeah no, it, but no, what you're saying is, is, is right. We all have, we all have our own unique identities and it's, I think a virtue to lean into what makes you unique as opposed to trying to hide it. Um, mm -hmm. there was an example I gave on on another friend's podcast um mm -hmm. there were two zombie movies that were made in jerusalem around the same time mm -hmm. or at least i don't i don't know if they were both in jerusalem but they're both in israel mm -hmm. and they both vied for um uh, you know national funding of the arts um and one of them went out of its way to hide the fact that it took place in israel they you know all the characters speak english there's no uh you know landmarks that you could tell mm -hmm. uh the street signs are covered uh mm -hmm. it just kind of looks like a, a vague metropolitan area sure. and the other one leaned into the fact that it took place in jerusalem it's called jerusalem with a z i've seen and the the poster yeah, and they're running around yeah. the old city, and you know it's all yeah. very steeped in the fact that it takes place in Israel. Mm -hmm. And what, which one do you think took off, and which one do you think didn't? You know, like what, like leaning into the niche um, gave one of these films an identity, and the other one with no identity. I don't even know if it ever got released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Isn't that the funny thing too? That like I've experienced this in my own writing is. Um, you know, you worry that sometimes writing about too niche of a subject that you're interested in is not going to be far reaching enough to, you know, uh oh, was that me or you? 
Oh, what, what happened? Oh, that was me. My uh, my phone tried to pick up my voice. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, like, yeah, I've I've worried that some of my like interests that I write about are too niche for the public and not enough people are going to be interested. Therefore, reps won't be interested. Producers won't be interested. And I found that it's actually quite the opposite, that like the further you lean into the niche, the more interesting this thing becomes. So now I kind of look at like writing about niche topics as oh, this is my opportunity to show the world why this thing is cool that they don't know yeah. about. And, and uh, not only yeah. not only does it make it interesting to your audience, but it, it, it paradoxically makes it more relatable because if mm -hmm. they're looking at this thing that they don't know the first thing about, but then there's something in it that reminds them of of something that they do know, then mm -hmm. they latch on to that. You know, it, it's there's there's relatability in there's universality in the specific. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's not trying to dilute itself and be as kind of broadly mainstream as possible. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. Lean into the weird niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess I, I sort of obliquely called being Jewish a weird niche, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we all know what you mean though. Like, yeah, just things that make you unique. Um, so we kind of like jumped into a writing portion before I asked the first question, but uh, let's, let's take it back <laughs> a little bit and backpedal. So Avishai, I want to know, how'd you get into screenwriting? So I've been interested in filmmaking since I was a little kid mm -hmm. and, you know, ever since I, I grew up watching, uh, you know, old Godzilla movies and seeing, you know, like, look at this incredible thing. That's also very clearly made by people. I, yeah. I want to be the people who makes that. And, uh, you know, as, as a little kid, I didn't really see a separation between the writing part and the filmmaking part. It's like, Oh, you, mm -hmm. if you want to make a movie, you have to write it. So I would write these scripts as a kid with the idea of, and then you go and make them. And, uh, you know, as I, as I grew up, I got very into, uh, film production, um, especially editing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once I was in film school, I found that it was difficult for me as an Orthodox Jew to work on student film shoots because so many of them overlapped with the Shabbos. And on Shabbos, I can't uh, take part in any of that. So I did as much as I could. I were, you know, whatever Sundays I could grab. But mm -hmm. I realized that writing was something that I could control my timing. Mm. I could do that. I, I I could work on writing basically on my own schedule. So I leaned into that, and I read all of the uh, you know the books that I could, just absorbed everything, mm -hmm. um, and kind of took it from there. Mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting um uh yeah i've noticed too that uh funny enough i don't know if you've noticed this is a filmmaker but bh photo the uh the company their website shuts down for the shabbos oh yeah yeah oh like, yeah no i'm very aware <laughs> yeah and it happens so frequently that that has been another mystery about like the faith to me is just like man like how so when does this happen how often and I, it's been something i've never <laughs> looked into but I'm, i've always been interested so then when i saw you posting about it i was like oh shit maybe obviously i can like you know help me out but sure. um yeah so i mean to, to clarify that there's such a broad spectrum of you know of jewish culture and tradition and not one way to do it yeah. Um, in a certain part of the spectrum, uh, Shabbos is a thing that happens every Friday night through Saturday night from sunset Friday to sundown Saturday. Mm -hmm. And it is a day with uh, with a whole lot of rituals attached to it, a whole lot of restrictions. It's meant to be a day of rest. So you're not working. 
Um, but you know, it's also very active because you're going to synagogue and you're praying and you're, you know, reciting the Torah and you're having, you know, meals with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so some of the restrictions include, I can't, you know, use, I can't activate technology. Sure. Um, I can't, you know, I can't write even with a pencil or, or, you know, a pen, mm-hmm. uh, can't, you know, can't turn lights on or off, can't use fires, you know, can't, uh, can't make music with an instrument, like stuff like that. So it's, uh, yeah, interesting. You know, and a lot of, yeah, and a lot of that is just stated in the Torah very specifically. And then a lot of that is sort of extrapolated from the Torah says you can't make fire is electricity fire. And then there are disagreements and stuff. And, you know, right. the, 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 the sect that I am closest to believes that it is. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and from my personal standpoint, I don't think God, cares <laughs> yeah you know like like, I, like yeah. i'm not doing it because i think i will get you know hit by a lightning bolt if i don't i it's just yeah. again it's it's that identity thing of course yeah yeah when i mean when you grow up close to something and your family celebrates something yeah i totally get it you know it's part of who you are um but yeah mm-hmm. that's that's so interesting to me because like i said i just haven't known much about it and um yeah it's just interesting because also i as a day job i film weddings a lot and sometimes oh, yeah. we do Jewish weddings and they have a whole different set of customs. Sometimes we do mixtures of like Jewish and Catholic, which is an interesting day because everyone's trying to get their customs <laughs> in. But um, but yeah, I've always just been interested in it. So, yeah, uh, cool to learn a little more about it. Uh, you know, um, my my freshman year roommate at college uh, was a photographer and he would do a lot of wedding uh, photography mm-hmm. and I was his second. I would I would follow him around with my own camera and take whatever photos he could get. Mm-hmm. And we largely did non-Jewish weddings. And then, mm-hmm. you know, one day we did a Jewish wedding and he had never done that before and he didn't know what to expect. So we were on the train on the way out. Uh, to the wedding and he would say to me, you know, make sure that you get the, you know, the couple's dances, you know, we want to make sure that we get those, you know, shout out the field romantic. And I'm like, oh, you, you don't, you, you've never been to this kind of thing before, have you? So uh-huh. just imagining your head smash cut to the whirling dervishes of like the men in one circle, the women in another circle spinning around and we're running yeah. like maniacs trying to get a non blurry photo. And he runs over to me just in a flop sweat and yells, this is insane and runs back out. And <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah. yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it is. It's wild. It's insane. And it's also, it's fun though. It's a good change of pace. And like just last weekend I did an Indian wedding and they have a whole different kind of wedding. Oh yeah. And, so many fun things going on in their wedding. So yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It's just interesting learning about these different customs and everything. I feel like I grew up very simple American and um, in the Midwest, not very like an Asian American, but like a very American um, upbringing. And then like uh, not particularly religious in any way. So that's always been fascinating to me, all kinds of different faiths and stuff. So yeah, anyway, um, I was just interested to learn and I appreciate you indulging me. Uh, So (laughs) to hop back... To hop back into you, um, I'm going to ask the question that screenwriters love, and that is, how would you describe your brand? Huh. <laughs> bad. Bad? Okay, bad is the starter. <laughs> well, okay, can you clarify what you mean by that? Or yeah, kind of just like, you know, like what genres do you play in? What are maybe like <laughs> themes that you kind of touch on? Um, things okay. like that. Yeah, just you know. Sure. Yeah, no, I 
I mean, genre-wise, I love horror. I love science fiction. I've found lately that I might be leaning more into into science fiction than horror, but that's that's my playground. Mm-hmm. And I'm drawn to the to these, I guess, kind of more evocative, dramatic stories within that within that uh, you know boundary that deal with characters who are struggling often with with some form of guilt or some form of anxiety that they need to get over um Mm -hmm. you know some some failure of communication uh i like characters who make bad choices for relatable reasons yes um, who then have to either you know grow from there or fail to grow from there Mm -hmm. um yeah i i i i like to tell stories that take themselves seriously but that doesn't mean relentlessly bleak mm-hmm. um they need to have peaks and valleys um and yeah always character first um and for me theme always comes out of the characters so <laughs> it always depends on the story i'm telling but whenever i come up with a high concept that i want to explore the thing that hooks me enough to convince me to actually start is that question of is there actually an interesting theme worth exploring through the characters as opposed to around the characters if that makes sense yes yeah i've many a times um even recently start a script because i think the plot is very cool and i quickly learned that there's not a theme worth exploring not interesting enough to me not close enough to me whatever and i found that that is a crucial part of the recipe that i can't just like try to plow forward anyway and be like yeah but it's going to be a cool story because the plot's a good (laughs) idea and uh sometimes it just doesn't work but um but yeah, and also just on Twitter the other day, I think there was a conversation going, well, conversation, I mean, people arguing on Twitter about, um, you know, I guess in some big show right now, I'm so behind on television, but mm-hmm. in some big show right now, there was a character who made a decision that a lot of people didn't like because it wasn't a moral decision. And all mm-hmm. the writers were coming out of the woodwork like, hey, that's what good writing is. It's people making bad right. decisions because that's what human beings do. And, I know exactly um, what show you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, that, that that was just a conversation the other day. So I really loved hearing you say that because I'm of that belief, too. I think any writer who's worth a shit uh, felt that way, too. You know, that like, <laughs> oh, dude, that's what that's what good writing is. It's people making flawed decisions and being flawed humans. Yeah. And very specifically, I subscribe to the notion that theme comes out of flaw, mm-hmm. that it's it, the theme is the thing that's diametrically opposed to the flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, whatever your character is failing to do that they need to uh, that they need to overcome, that the thing the thing inside of them that they need to improve is what the story's about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I guess the, the, the hackneyed example that I would give is, you know, if there's a story about you know, the, the merits of letting go and moving on in your life, you know, you write about somebody who's incapable of doing that and mm-hmm. whose ultimate success would be predicated on being, learning to do that, you know, and proving that they, that they actually can now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, if you have a character who is flawed and makes flawed decisions and those decisions have consequences, guess what? That's what your story is about. That's not mm-hmm. a failing on the part of the writing that that is writing. <laughs> that is writing. That is good quality writing, I would argue. Yeah, it's meaningful um, writing. Yes, meaningful, exactly. If your character starts in the same place and ends in the same place and, you know, they just make perfect decisions to keep them in that place, that's not a story. 
Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I, I love people making the uh, immoral choices, um, you know, just going against the grain of society because it's just like you see it in the world. That's what people do. Yeah. I mean, I've made many decisions in my life that I'm not super proud of now looking back, but it's like, so does everyone. Everyone has those choices, yeah. you know? And I, I just think it's, it's really like, um, I guess it's just relatable, but also like confirms to me that I'm not a horrible person, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, depending on yeah. what bad thing you did, some bad things are, you know, you are a bad person. Well, but, but even you know, then, even for, then, I mean, I mean, yeah. these shows and movies magnify it, you know, like, yeah. like if in real life I saw somebody, you know, a, a jilted lover light her boyfriend on fire now then me liking that would make me a bad person in a movie yeah. though because it's an exaggeration and it's essentially metaphor yeah. i might take her side and that doesn't make that doesn't make yeah. me a bad person you know it's, are we it's, talking about someone who was in a bear suit we might be um yeah yeah i agree with it there's you know there's this there's a liberty that you get with fictional characters that because it is in fact fictional you're off the hook for the horrible crimes that they do it's more about the reasons behind them and what it means for that character's arc and what it means for the consequences that they, that, that follow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we can love, we can love the most despicable people. I mean, here's something that really upsets me. It's whenever I see somebody say like, how dare a, like, how dare you writers of this show humanize this villain? Mm -hmm. It feels like you're taking their side. It's like, like, first of all, we need that because if if we are able to look at villains as completely inhuman, then we can't see our own behavior in them. And then how how would we know to improve our own behavior if we fall prey to that? You know, how do like mm -hmm. how 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 do how do we learn a lesson if we feel like only the worst people in the world need to learn it? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, if it, but if there are people who have redeeming qualities that we can see ourselves in, we'll say like okay, I might be capable of doing the stuff that they have done. I have to be aware of this, you know? So that's, that's one thing. And, you know, this is sort of flip side of, oh, by making a person who has good reasons for doing what they do, the villain, the writers are villainizing such and such, you know, an opinion, such and such, uh, you know, like a, a cause. And it's like, no, they're taking a villain and giving them a, good cause because that makes it interesting <laughs> you know that's yeah that's how we explore these things it can't just be the pure and perfect people we align with versus you know the terrible people who have nothing to do with us exactly yeah i've, I've always i heard a tip one time i forget where a lot of people say this but um but i love it is that to always remember that the villain of your story is the protagonist in their story and i've always oh, yeah. loved that and always try to think about when i'm writing like a real villain kind of thing um just to remember that you know that their arc needs to be like a hero's journey too in their own you know fucked up way however that is there was a project that i had in development you know um pre-strike um where <laughs> a one of the big notes that i had to grapple with was just that where the the directors and the producers wanted to make sure that the villain was as sympathetic as possible while still being the villain mm -hmm. um and it took work it definitely took some work um because you know there there's this line that 
we feel if we cross that line, that person is irredeemable. So we'll just write the monster. Mm. But, you know, trying to figure out a way to redeem that person within the context of the story while still, you know, making them do these terrible, terrible things. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can be an interesting tightrope. And so much yeah. of it just comes down to perspective. You know, so much of it just comes down to, you know, show what they do when they're alone, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, show, show, show why they might feel like they are the aggrieved person in this story. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, it's an interesting process. I'll tell you that in the, so if you watched third date, you know, my, yeah. my horror yeah. short about, you know, about, you know, dating somebody who would potentially lead to being in a very toxic relationship, so to speak. Yes. Um, I wrote a feature version of that and, you know, played up the whole element of this is about a toxic relationship. And I got feedback on that first draft from friends who had been in toxic relationships, you know, with their consent, of course, I didn't spring it on them, but they, mm -hmm. but I, I wanted their authentic opinion and something that, that they, that they, that they taught me there that that's really stuck with me is they all said, because I made the villain so despicable, almost like almost to sort of distance me as the writer from his behavior of like, clearly this is the villain. This story does not endorse, you know, um, by doing that, I actually made the hero come off worse. Um, mm. be because it made the the main character, who is a woman who falls prey to this toxic relationship, mm -hmm. seem, you know, like you have to make a stronger case for why would you enter a relationship like this? Or, yeah, and, and stick around yeah, at all. Yeah, which yeah. which in real life, that's not for us to question at all. But in a story, you know, trying to win over the audience mm -hmm. to to these to these women who read the script, mm -hmm. their sense was if you want to make her more relatable, you need to make him more relatable mm. because we need to see what she sees in him that lures her in and, and sort of manipulates her into staying even when he's being the worst. Mm -hmm. And so it became little things here and there, you know, like moments of charm moments of flattery, you know, mm -hmm. giving her a jacket when she's cold, you know, like, mm -hmm. like all of these little things. And they were right. It 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 made her stronger a, a, a character in comparison, mm -hmm. um, because she was being lured in by somebody who was a master a masterful manipulator instead of just yeah. a lizard. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that, and it's kind of that funny thing too, because when we're giving notes on screenplays. We all say that, you know, like, I don't think a person would ever really do this or I don't think a person would stay in that really. I mean, you would be nuts. And then you hear a story on the news that is the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life. And you're like every single executive producer, whatever, would tell you, you have to cut that. That would never happen. But it did yeah. in real life. And that's like the hard thing about writing is like sometimes, yeah, the world does things do happen in the world that are larger than life and unbelievable. You can't believe those humans exist. However, <laughs> when writing a movie or, you know, a TV show, you do have to play within the bounds of accepted reality, not not super extraordinary, because um, right. then you, you you know, it becomes unbelievable. And I'm not saying that's really what your script was doing. It's just like kind of building on that. But like, I do very much agree with what those women were saying. Like, that's such a good example of a situation where it's like you, you really can't 
put someone in that position where it's like, why wouldn't, why would they stay around this guy? What's tying them to him? And then you add those little moments, you know, those little things where it's like, oh, he is kind of a nice guy sometimes and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, then it can work. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, when you see something in the news that is outlandish and, you know, cart like you see people being cartoonishly evil or you see, you know, coincidences that are just too crazy to believe. You see it in the news, by definition, you you believe it because it's the news. It's being reported to you. You don't, yes. you know, it's, it's just reality. It's like, wow, that is a crazy reality. Mm-hmm. When it's fiction, the audience is almost, you know, saying to you, yeah, prove it, you know, like, yeah. like convince me. And you yeah. have to actually convince the, the audience that that works. It's like the, like to a degree, you know, so much of script writing is just, hear me out <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's uh like there was a trailer i saw the other day in front of spider-verse um for i think it's like gran turismo um it's a movie coming out about uh you know people who race cars in a in a video game and are extremely mm-hmm. good at that and are then recruited into an actual like formula one style race mm. and so much of the trailer is a character saying to the mastermind of this whole thing they don't know what they're doing. They play video games. They don't understand the realities of what they're getting into. This is completely insane. And the amount of times they said that in the trailer, the subtext to me was them saying, yeah, we know this is crazy. Bear with us. We're going to, we're going to try to earn that as opposed to just sort of taking it as a given, which the audience might just say, Hey, that's actually just a ridiculous concept. You know, whereas if you saw that, if you saw that in the news, which this isn't, this isn't a true story, but if you saw that in the news, you'd be like, huh, that's insane, but you'd believe it. <laughs> yeah, you would. Um, yeah, because it'd just be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that the video game skill translated to real life, but like, you would be forced to believe it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's funny though. It's almost like in the trailer, they're like, please suspend your disbelief. Please, please for yeah. us. Come see or our even, movie. Or even the opposite of like, yeah, we know you don't believe it. You know what? You shouldn't believe it. Go in not believing it. Yeah. And we're going to convince you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, too, I have to admit a guilty pleasure of mine sometimes is like, yeah, it's really, really dumb. But is it fun? Because I'll come yeah. watch it. You know, like, I'll have a blast. Um, okay, oh, cool. I mean, I mean, funny, like, it, when it's a comedy, especially the mm-hmm. first rule of comedy is it's got to be funny and anything else falls to the wayside if it's if it's yeah. funny. Yeah, 100 percent. I totally agree. Um so before we get into the next question, I did just want to ask because you you mentioned the strike a second ago, and this is recorded on June sixth for everyone listening. I'm going to try to release it in the next couple of days, but um, but you've been participating in some strike um in some marches in New York in some pickets. Um, just wondering like what's that experience been like for you so far, and like because I'm in Missouri. And I feel like I'm stranded mm-hmm. on an island out here. Like, there's really nothing to picket out here. There's not many productions going on, especially not any that would be um, signatories. So um, I was just wondering what your experience been like so far. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you right before we jumped on to this, uh, you know, onto this podcast, mm-hmm. I just got home from one and then had to shower because there's so much smoke in the air from from a, a massive fires in Canada that everything is just doused in ash. But Oh my gosh. Um, wow. So my, my breathing is super impaired today, but yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. It's, it's a lot of walking. Mm-hmm. One of, one of the 
elements of picketing is you can't really just stand still with the signs because I think legally that's loitering. Um, oh wow! So Interesting. I think that I think that's the legal idea behind it. So we're always walking. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're fine. Smoke, smoke in the air. Um, oh, yeah, gosh. we're just uh, walking in circles, um, often for hours at a time. Today I did four hours. Um, you're there with other people. You show up. You pull a. You know. You sign in. You, you scan a, a QR code. You sign into that particular picket. You pull a pre-written sign out of a big bag of signs. Mm-hmm. And you walk and sometimes there's chanting and sometimes there isn't. And you're just chatting with other writers and getting to know people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, the the picketing in New York in particular has been very, very strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause my understanding is that in Los Angeles, you go to, you go to a studio and you pick it at the studio. Cause the studios are just these big permanent structures with, sure big permanent people inside and you're just trying to uh you know not let them forget that you're there in new york because there's so much production so much of it is actually going to a location where you know they're going to shoot mm-hmm. getting getting in front of the entrance that the you know that the crews might go through mm-hmm. and if they want to go through you, you can't stop them and you shouldn't try. Like it's mm-hmm. not, we're not line, we're not linebackers. You know, <laughs> right. we're not we're right. not goalies. It's just that the the Teamsters Union and IATSE, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially Teamsters, like like, you know, I like let, let me just rewind that for a second. Um mm-hmm. a lot of IATSE members are in solidarity refusing to cross the picket line. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they have to for, you know, you know, they don't, they don't have a choice, mm-hmm. but frequently they have been not crossing the picket line and Teamsters just never cross picket lines. It's, it's, it's basically, you know, a mantra of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so long as we are there, they sit off on the side, um, entirely, you know, of, of their own volition, um, mm-hmm. so long as we have their solidarity. And as mm-hmm. a result, these movies and shows don't get made mm-hmm. for the entire for the for the duration of our standing there, and you know you you know frequently will reach a point where they they say, well, we cannot film today. Uh, we have run out of time. Uh, starting now would be a fool's errand, so we're shutting it down for the day. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, the studios are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars per shoot shutdown per day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all very targeted with this idea of it's not enough to just, you know, be withholding our labor and saying there's no writing happening and mm-hmm. you sh- you need to come back to the table. It's, hey, we know that you're trying to wait us out, so we're going to force you back to the table now uh, as quickly mm-hmm. as you can um, because mm-hmm. you're trying to take our labor and take it to the next stage of production while refusing to pay us and involve us in productions and that's not okay and so we mm-hmm. are going to continue to cause very direct financial pain so that they see that in their you know their bottom line is falling out that their their schedules up ahead are empty mm-hmm. and hopefully that motivates them to come back to the table sooner rather than later so it's mm-hmm. it's it's my my understanding is that in the 2007 2008 strike the WGA did not do that and mm. they have that back back then because there wasn't that same kind of labor movement of you know all unions in 
you know, in solidarity and not even necessarily a ton of solidarity within the guild. I think they had a lower, you know, margin for the yes vote for the strike authorization thing was like 90 percent instead of 98 mm-hmm. um it was a lot more of just we want like we want to prove that our cause is just mm-hmm. so there was just a lot of you know picketing at studios and that was it but yeah. now since there's so much solidarity it's like all right let's put that to action we're going to try an offense tactic and see what that gets us so yeah, yeah no it's been interesting it, the the vibe on the picket lines has been um you know, it's pretty. It's it, it ranges from from you know uh, we're walking for hours a day to kind of chill and fun. You know, you're chat, you're chatting with people. You're, yeah. you know, you're you're telling stories. You're laughing. You know, sometimes you're chanting the same boring old. What do we want? When do we want it? Um, yeah. And you know, there's always pizza. There's always water bottles. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, then you come home and you've walked. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, you know, if nothing else, I'd be happy to be, just be getting some exercise too. <laughs> like that would. Well, you know, my a... conspiracy theory. <laughs> What's that? My conspiracy theory is the studios. They saw us in our dark little rooms, hunched over, all by ourselves, looking kind of depressed, looking kind of pale. It's like we need to get these writers out in the sun, getting yeah. exercise, making friends. Uh, yeah. You see, they care about us. You see, it's all about. Oh. It's all about care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is one way to look at it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You see, they they love writers. They just want what's best for us. For sure. Yeah. Just not in the bank. Just more like you know, health wise, keep us there writing. <laughs> Um, no, that's great. And I appreciate you kind of sharing that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy times. Um, again, this is June 6th. And as of yesterday, SAG-AFTRA authorized their strike with like a 98%, um, approval rating too. So interesting times ahead, you know, the DGA did their thing and it is what it is, but it's cool to see SAG stepping up with, you know, all of their power that they hold in their hands as the talent, um yeah it's i i hope we get back to the table soon like you you said you had something in development i had my first ever thing in development and that's mm-hmm. on hold now and i'm just like it's so funny that in 2020 i was graduating film school as the pandemic started so didn't really get to have a graduation and then right before i feel like something's gonna happen in my screenwriting uh... career this happens but i'm not saying poor me i look at it as funny um, it's just like, I better have a nice career after this because this is some bullshit trying to get started. But, um, <laughs> well, let's, but, I mean, let's hope that the, uh, that the gains made at the table mean that, that once you sell that script, you make a whole lot more money than you would have otherwise. A hundred percent. And I have a friend who's in the WGA. Um, but he told me that he was like, you know, this thing it, it's, I, he was like, I can almost guarantee it's going to work to your favor if you just wait it out. Um, because we're going to at least be in a better position when this thing is all over than we are today. That's a guarantee in one way or another. So I agree. Yeah. And the SAG thing is huge also because 98% of about half of their members voting yes Mm -hmm. is, you know, they have so many more members than are in the WGA. Yeah, I think and it's at 67,000 or something like that. I could be I way so. off. I think I think they have some I think they have significantly more than that. I think 65,000 people voted. And oh. that's about half of their membership. And, oh. <laughs> and the 98% of 65,000 is so much more people than are in the WGA at all. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like three times. Oh wait, no. What what do we have? 11k? 
something like that yeah so way more yeah and the dga yeah. i think was like 19k or something yeah no yeah. like sag is like like if we if we are earth as wga and i say that we as if you know as if i'm in the guild i'm not yet yeah, yeah. um but you know I've been, I've been marching so i can say we but yes yeah of course <laughs> of know. course but yeah. also also side note even if you haven't been marching we're all on strike like the rules apply to us too so mm-hmm. we are all definitely it, so it is we're all we but mm-hmm. you know if if we are earth sag is jupiter like it's actually kind of incredible to watch so i hope that mm-hmm. that i hope that that pressure is put to good use i yeah. i hope that it is it is recognized as such by the studios and yeah. uh yeah, and I hope it works out. Hey, we got a puppy in the scene. What's going on? Who 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 is this? This is Matana, and she just ran up to me, and her whole side is wet. So I hope that doesn't mean she rolled in her own pee again. <laughs> That's all right. We forgive her. Um, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely crazy. And like SAG, of course, too. Just like the kind of names that they have in there, the people, the influence that those voices can have when they start publicly talking about these things. Um, I hope it just puts a lot more pressure on the AMPTP. I hope I have a feeling here's my, my, my prediction. And it's one of so many ways that this thing could go. My prediction is relatively optimistic. I think SAG gets a deal. I think mm-hmm. the studio gives them a deal. I think because SAG showed up, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, of course. I think because SAG showed up armed with a fucking nuke to the negotiations, Mm -hmm. they're going to get a great deal. They're actually going to get a deal because the studios need to get out of this. And then I think they're going to come back to the writers as soon as possible because Mm -hmm. if they don't get stuff going ASAP, like, and by the bad meaning, like July, they don't have a fall schedule and then that really Mm -hmm. affects them. So Mm -hmm. I think they're going to at least, if they're smart, and we mm-hmm. know that they might not be, but if they mm-hmm. are smart and based on the damage that they are feeling, I think the studios are going to come back to the table uh, sooner than later, um, you know, yeah. in, in this in the summer and not let this drag on until, you know, December. But I'm going to be eating my hat if it, uh, you know, if we're still if we're still on the line and, you know, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think just based on history, you know, that's it's hard to believe that that would be the case. But yeah, the thing is that none of us know what's going to happen. None of us know. Yeah, that would not be a bad <sighs> way of it going. Um, yeah, so, I hope that your your project that was in development uh, is is merely on ice and uh, you know revives as soon as the ice thaws. I appreciate it. It seems to be as of now, but I'm very open to the idea of everything falling apart because that's what happens. But um, but as of uh, now, it's you know, okay. Any any motion, like something that I've I've been telling myself for years, is that any motion is good motion, even if it's a backslide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because because a backslide just gets you off one path and onto another. The only yeah. the only thing that is bad is if you just stop moving. So yeah. Any motion in any direction gets you somewhere, and yeah. since since nobody can actually plan a path that gets you where you need to go, you just keep moving and hope that it's the right one. Yeah. Funny enough, the one of the producers on it has also been a mentor of mine for a couple of years and just as fate would have it, um, became a producer on this. But we Perfect. were talking the other day and um, he was like, you know, even if it did fall apart, which it's not going to, but even if it did, the fact that you had, you know, X actress attached to your script at one point, you really did um it's you know it can be proven he was like you know that that's something that you can like actually use as like clout you know like that you know you did have this person attached to your project at one point and blah 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 
And uh, so, like you said, you know, it's like all motion's good motion. The fact that it even happened and got that far, I, I should probably stop manifesting this into the universe that it's going to fall apart But um, by talking about it too much. You know, it's, it's going to be weird coming out of my mouth, you know, as as a, you know, as a religious person. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't believe speaking it is the thing that makes it happen. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I have a like I don't I. I used to be superstitious in the way of like, if I have a thought about the plane crashing while I'm riding the plane, then maybe the plane will crash. And now it's like, no, you know what? The things that make things happen are the things that make things happen. And, you know, you've been making things happen and saying it might not, you know what? You've been making things happen. So not not the words, the deeds. So here's a, you know, here's to you still making things happen, you know, with, within the, the bounds that you are legally allowed to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I agree. Yeah. It's all a bit silly too, but, um, but I'm still a little superstitious, but, um, okay. Well, let's have <laughs> the, the only superstition. The only superstition I have now is when I play Wordle, if it takes too many moves, I feel like I'm going to have a bad day ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I've been there too. I'm like, Oh God, this day is going to be terrible. Um, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, okay, so let's hop back into you, Abishai. Since everyone's writing routine is unique, can you kind of describe your regular writing routine to me? Like, do you write in the morning? Do you write at night? Do you write in an office, a bedroom, a coffee shop? Uh, you know, what what's the vibe like whenever you're writing? Do you listen to music of any kind or do you like silence? Well, I like silence. Uh, I, I can't I can't write with music playing um, yeah. in a ambient. Um, yeah. But before COVID, my routine was I would go to a coffee shop, preferably with a friend who was working on their own thing mm-hmm. and, you know, have a writing session there. Um, since COVID started, um, that sort of fall to the wayside and my routine has lost any sense of routine. So mm-hmm. it all kind of depended on what needed to happen, you know, um, like if I had a project that I had rewrites on it due, I would force myself to do the rewrites whenever I could actually, you know, peel myself off my bed to, to do it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and make sure that I'm that I'm hitting the deadlines I have to hit um, when it's my own personal projects it really depends. So much of it is just <laughs> driven by that, that guilt in the back of my head of like, you haven't written. Why haven't you yeah. written yet? Yeah. You're a piece of shit. You haven't written. And it's like, oh, fine. Now I wrote a thing. You happy? It's like, oh, actually, this is kind of good. Okay, let's keep going. You know, it's, yeah. um, I will say that recently, I had, you know, right before the strike started, I was in this kind of flat space um, where I had an idea for a spec that I wanted to explore that I had a few false starts with. Um, I was circling a... I was circling a paid rewriting gig that would have mandated that I actually stick to a routine, which would have been really good for me. But then, of course, the strike hits. So one thing I've been doing lately, especially since picketing is so exhausting and I get back and I'm like, I don't feel creative anymore. I just feel tired. Yeah. I've been doing two things. I have one project. I have a thing with a friend where we're both trying to write one page each day of our own projects Mm -hmm. as kind of like accountability of like, I wrote my page, you write your page Mm -hmm. Um, just to kind of, just to kind of keep the fingers going. Um, And I have a project with another friend where we are each writing one page at a time in the same project, passing a page back and forth 
whoever's turn it is has to hand in the next page mm-hmm. and there's no plan the only rule is you have to yes and whatever came before and it has to be it has to be good it can be funny as hell but it has to be good it can't you can't break the script yeah um we have no idea where it's going but it's teaching me two things one it's teaching me that it is just writing you know it's so, it's so easy to see a project ahead of you and see the mountain that you have to climb and mm-hmm. that anxiety of like, do I have to climb Mount Everest? Can I just not? It's like, actually, it's not a mountain. It's just writing. You know, it's a page. Mm-hmm. It's typing. Um, makes it a little bit more manageable. And two, a page fills up really fast. When you mm-hmm. only have a page and yeah. and you cannot go further than a page, you realize just how quickly it fills up. And this is all just me trying to psych myself back up into <laughs> getting back into my own original projects where, where I don't have any mandates. I don't have, you know, I don't owe it to anybody, but myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's tough. It's tough yeah. to stay motivated and stay in there. Yeah. So all that is to say, I've sort of lost my routine, but I'm trying to get it back. Yeah. Um, over the last few years, I've done so much in terms of rewriting for people. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had, I had my script precipice, which, you know, was, like like you said in the the cover fly bio place in the top 50 of the nickel mm-hmm. and been you know been doing development on that for you know for people and that's been a lot of you know a lot of writing work but it's all been development work on the same project mm-hmm. and subsequent scripts have been me unearthing old scripts of mine and giving them facelifts you know that's what i'm was doing it. right now perfect there you go there's yeah. this one script i had that i wrote in 2015 and i did a total page one of it where I stuck to the overall structure, but I did not consult with the original draft. It was just like, I think I'm a different writer now. Let's do it. And what resulted was the same script, but better. And I had a different script that I had to clean up for some folks who were interested. And what resulted was the same script, but better. But I've been doing a lot of same script, you know, and the idea of getting back into something where it's completely fresh. Yeah. Uh, it's been daunting, but I'm getting back into it now and it's, it's exciting. And, you know, I'll be writing a page of it after we're done with this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Cause it's like, you know, they say you all, we all have to write bad scripts before we can write good ones. And I do think that that's true. However, it's like, you know, I, I, you're doing what I'm doing now is like, I have a couple scripts that I'm like, yeah, I didn't quite know what I was doing, but the idea is good. I like the idea. And it's like, so don't, don't just say, you know, well, of course my first three scripts were bad. Everyone's were, that may be true. However, like you don't just have to leave them in the graveyard if you don't want to. It's like, go back, go back with who you are now as a writer. And, you know, if you like the idea, maybe, maybe your first couple ideas were just stupid and you don't like them, then that's another thing. But for me, like my first ones, I thought they had uh, potential but I just, my execution was off. And, you know, once I became better at writing to still hold that belief, like, no, that's a movie I want to see. It's like, yeah, go back and do it again. And um, so that's where I'm at right now with uh, the second feature I ever wrote and um, it's going well, it's going okay. I'm glad to hear that. Listen, yeah, there's, there's a, uh, there's gold in them. there hills of shit, you know, yeah, it's yep, yep. <laughs> like, like there's oh god it was there was an article about chat gpt by ted chang the the writer of the short story that became a rival um the oh, story okay. of your life and yeah. he wrote this great article explaining what 
ChatGPT AI is and isn't and how it works and you know what it does and what it doesn't do. And he ends by talking about is is it useful for writers like in terms of generating first drafts that they can then iterate on and his reason for why not was that in his estimation a good first draft a good shitty first draft is not a mediocre idea executed competently Uh it's a great idea executed poorly Mm -hmm. and then you have this sort of ambiguous disappointment with it where you know it could be better because you you have this thing in your head of you know what good taste is you have good taste you know what it should be but you're not sure how to get there and you haven't gotten there and the process of trying to find that is how you make it great and also how you make yourself a better writer Mm -hmm. and the idea of substituting that for um a template um just undercuts (laughs) the potential of good writing and becoming a better writer so yeah no you you write the bad script but you have the great idea whether you know whether you realize it or not like there's something in it that drew you to it that made you write in the first place and that might still be there so you know you grow as a writer you look back at it is that still an idea that resonates with you if it is why leave it to die maybe maybe it's worth exploring again Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent agree i love that too about um what a first draft actually is. It's a great idea executed poorly. It makes, I think it just makes us all feel better about our first drafts. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, just keep at it. This is what it's like for everyone. Um, So let's talk about your like actual writing process. Let's say you have a brand new idea. Um, What's the first thing that you do? Do you like jump into an outline? Do you like to try to write a log line? Do you need a title before you can do anything? um or do you think characters do you just jump into pages um what's the first thing you do when you have a brand new idea well the first thing i do is try to figure out who the characters are in it in a way that serves a theme Mm -hmm. um you know like like if i come up with an idea that's just a big sort of concept that like a high concept that i think could be a cool movie Mm -hmm. i don't love it until i have figured out theme until i figured out what what could i actually explore with this mm-hmm. and that brings me to character where it's like oh well if i want to explore the sense of feeling small in the wake of you know in the wake of gigantic history yeah. you know let's have let's let's have a character who struggles with that and is there a way to turn that into a conflict and i think about that and once i have a sense of who the players in this might be in relation to the theme then it depends on the project because sometimes I'll outline extensively before I start writing. And then sometimes I'll actually just dive in. And so on, you know, on precipice on the script that I had the most success with, um, I started off without an outline. I had my idea. I knew who the characters would be. I knew what the conflict would be, but I didn't necessarily know where it would go. I had ideas of certain things that might happen. I just sort of, you know, plot points to pop into my head of wouldn't be cool if maybe this happens at some point, but I didn't know how to get there. And I was coming off of a dry spell of writing and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to sit down and just start writing it and just see what happens. And the rule I gave myself was if I'm making this up as I go along, you know, what with my idea of where it could go, um, my rule for myself is every scene characters have to make choices and those choices have to either have consequences or you know, potentially have consequences. Um, because that gives you somewhere to go next. 
Mm-hmm. And then that, and then that, that writing process led me to then go back and realize like, oh, here's a place where this could go, but now I have to go back and plant that. So I'm going to go back and make sure that that's all set up. And then, yeah. you know, you start, you know, as you go further, it's like, oh, but now I actually need this back there. And you, you know, it, 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 it becomes, it's this process of discovery, but at the very least, I like to have pages up front that I feel like if I died of a heart attack right now and somebody read this, they would not hate it. Yeah. Um, which I know is, yeah. which I know is, is generally speaking, bad advice. Like I know a lot of, a lot of uh, really good writing advice givers say, write the shitty version really fast and then go back and tinker. And I yeah. am a slow writer. I work my way through it bit by bit. And I may, maybe this is some form of, of OCD or something, but I can't go on to the next scene until I like the scene that I have. And even yeah. if it turns out later that I can actually, that it's actually nowhere near as good as it needs to be like in retrospect, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, actually this isn't there quite there. But like at the moment I need to be like, I need to feel like if I showed this to somebody right now, they would say, Hey, that's a good scene. Yep. And I'm the exact same. Okay. There you go. So maybe, yeah. maybe I'm not the dumbest person, but like, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't set me as the bar necessarily, but like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely a perfectionist about my first draft yeah. and yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy for me to think about just blowing through it the way some people can and then go back and rework it. I'm like, it's just going to be so much more work the next time if I don't set this up the way I think it needs to be set up. And it definitely does hurt my output as far as like, you know, how many things I can get done however quickly. But I do Mm -hmm. think, you know, I'm of the mindset that like, none of that matters if the thing that you're writing is just a fucking banger. Like if it's just (laughs) undeniably good, then cause like, you know, the other thing is going to probably take just as long if your first draft was bad and you need to do multiple, multiple drafts just to get it to where like maybe you or me would say a first draft should be um, in terms of like just tightness, you know? Um, And And so then you're kind of working with the same, the same thing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're fine. Um, I just like that, you know, one, one big truth that I think a lot of writers need to learn, like, First of all, like if 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 you're you know if you're the kind of person who does the vomit draft and then uh, goes back and cleans it up, great. If you're the perfectionist, yeah. you know, great. If you write the outline, great. If you don't, great. Yeah. yeah. What you say about it, you know, it doesn't matter if it's an absolute banger is true. And also, your absolute banger is gonna get rewritten. Yeah. <laughs> if you're 100%. lucky, if you're lucky, if you're yes. lucky, somebody will read that script, say this is a banger. I want to yeah. commit the next few years of my life to getting this off the ground. Now that we're going here are my notes. Yes. And then yeah. they're going to bring on somebody else. And that person's going to say, I fucking love the script. I want to make the script. Here are my notes. Yep. And then, and, and if you're on top of the ball and you know, whether you like the notes or not, you come out with something that is continues to be an absolute banger. You mm-hmm. take that to the next person. It's like, we just brought on this person. She loves the script. Yeah. Here are her notes, you know? And it's, yeah. uh, it, that, and that's just the, the process It's consistently iterative and your job is just, to always come out on top at the end, you know, like, yep. like just the story you know, of every movie ever made make. Yeah. And, and coming out on top does not mean fighting down the notes until they're gone. Like at all. You know, it means the yeah. opposite. It means you do those notes and you make them work and you make them mm-hmm. great, you know? Yep. And that's, you know, that's where everybody heads no matter what, like, however you write it the first time around, mm-hmm. you, if you are lucky to get it picked up, you are heading towards that same silo of now you're going to do the following people's notes. 
Yep. And that means, and that means you've been successful. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's also a whole different, um, a whole different skill that is 100% necessary to have a career is how can you take these development notes and how creatively can you interweave them into what you already had or, you know, remove a scene and replace it with a scene that, you know, these people wanted you to have in there. How can you do that so creatively that the integrity of what you want this story to be is still there. You haven't lost the integrity of your story, but you have also satisfied these people who are coming in because they're also just as important to getting this thing made as yeah. you are being the writer. It's like, it, it, it really is. It's a collaborative art form. Um, and when you get to set, and, yeah. you'll realize even more that it's even more collaborative on set and like, you know. Yeah. And if you're working with good people and talented people, mm -hmm the stuff they are bringing will make it better. Like they, they are bringing yep. in, in a perspective that you do not have. So, uh, yeah. you know, they, they, they're trying, they, uh, a lot, uh, you know, there's always bad reasons for people to give notes. You know, there's, you know, there, there might be the executive who's like, I think I have a sense of what might sell better, or there might be the actor who's like, I think this will be more flattering for me. Or, you know, like there's a whole bunch yeah. of different reasons you can get that. Out. But if, if, but if people are giving notes in good faith, it is because they are trying to connect to it better. They're trying to connect to it more because they want yeah. to make it, they want to make it great. Mm -hmm. And there is something in it that they feel is not there for them. Mm -hmm. And by getting to that place, you just added another layer of armor to your script, you know? So it's, yep. you know, I, I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. And it's just so relevant to me because my entire last year of my life was spent up until the strike was spent on doing this process for the very first time with people who have done, you know, significant things in their careers. And it was just an honor for me to be there taking notes from them. And sometimes were the notes they were frustrating. They were honestly really good notes because also if there was times where I felt I needed to push back, they were totally game for it. And they were like, you know, explain to me why. And sometimes I would win those battles, you know, as, nobody guy in missouri who just wrote this spec script <laughs> um, but they would be very cool about that and like they were very cool about like you know you wrote a story that we don't think we've read before you know with your voice and you have such a you know, like you know they were complimenting me it feels weird weird saying it but like you know they were saying like you have Own a it. unique Own perspective <laughs> yeah you have a unique perspective and um so sometimes they were like you know we really should probably defer to andy about this and like i had that happen quite a few times and it felt really good but then there were other things where you know it's a really small story really small indie and there were a couple notes of like how can we like make this world just feel a little bigger just like you mm. know in, in terms of like just attracting talent attracting financing things like that like sometimes you need that and i'm just like you know i it, it makes sense to me, even though I like my story the way it is. I like my tiny little indie. It does make sense to me that these people who have been through this multiple times with developing projects, you know, throughout their career that they know. And the way they're explaining it to me isn't like, a, you know, we're going to take your script and just throw it in the trash and do what we want to do. It wasn't that it was like, hey, you know, this is just kind of the reality of the industry and trying to get things off the ground and, you know, most people know right now it's kind of harder than it's ever been before to get things made and mm -hmm. uh, even harder to get an actual real legitimate release on things. Um, it's just tough to not, some things just get thrown on a streamer to die, 
you know, amongst yeah. a sea of thousands of titles and they come and go. So I, I trust that, you know, I, that's one part of the industry that I don't know as much as these people on, you know, like writing my story. I do feel like an expert on that, but pretty much everything else I have to defer to them and their knowledge because they've been doing it longer. They know how the system works. That's one of the hardest parts about like being a writer and entering that next stage in your career is realizing like, okay, I've spent the last, you know, five, 10, 15 years, 20 years learning the craft of screenwriting and reading the books and reading the articles and watching YouTube videos and writing bad scripts, writing good scripts. And then you get to the point where someone's paying attention and you learn, oh, now I have to learn about the other half of it, which is the industry. And that's a whole nother animal. And it's also a necessary thing to learn the ins and outs of. Uh, so it's been a really interesting last year for me realizing that. And mm -hmm. you kind of do learn that, like, you know, there are certain things like it's a give and take with your script and sometimes notes like, like you said, as long as they're in good faith, um, you know, yeah. they, they mean well. Uh, there was definitely some a couple I didn't agree with wholeheartedly, but I went ahead and tried to meet in the middle and integrated the note while also trying to maintain what I wanted to maintain about a scene or a character or whatever. And I feel like everything I did on that script, I'm happy with, you know, I can, I can live with some of the changes that I didn't love. And I'm hoping to come out on the other side and realize why they said that that needed to be there and be like, Oh shit, they were right. They were totally right. Yeah. I definitely got that note about making the world bigger. <laughs> I've gotten that. Oh, one. did you really? Um, yeah. And that's the kind of thing that strikes me almost as like, is that a good note or a bad note? It's a neutral note. It is a note where it's like, does it, you know, it, 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 it either makes your story better or worse, depending on how you address it, you know, yes, it, yeah. it, because, because that's not, you know, whenever, <clears throat> whenever they say like, as you know, like as an artist, I, I protect my vision and it's like, okay, but what about it is your vision? Is that yeah. your vision? Could you change that? Is that your vision? No, that's not your vision. You could change that. What about this? Is that your vision? No, that's not your vision. You can change that. The vision turns out to be a lot more narrower than the details. And there are different ways to to uh, achieve it. So by the yeah. way, you know, totally on the money about, you know, you learn the craft and then it's a trial by fire to learn the business. Um, yeah. Like they do not, they do not teach this kind of stuff in film school, at least not mm. in the classes I took. And me either. Me or, either. or at least at least not in a way that was relevant to our current age. And, you know, because mm -hmm. it changes changes so much and professors uh, you know, have a memory of a time where things might be different, might have been different. Yeah. The one biggest piece of advice that I would give to any screenwriter who starts actually dabbling in the business side of things is mm -hmm. get a fucking lawyer. Yes. Have a fucking lawyer <laughs> yeah. and and one who takes 5% too, not someone who charges by the hour. Cause I have seen those. Um, yeah. But, but oh my God, do not sign a single damn thing without a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if you're wondering how to find one, because you're getting buzzed for the first time, reach out to friends you've met in the writing world, yeah. people who've done it before. A lot of people will very happily try to help you at least find someone you might not land with their rep, or their attorney, but you know, people, people can point you in the right direction. Um, just yeah. reach out. Don't be afraid. Like that's one of the coolest things I've found too, about like, you know, not if you might not be on Twitter, but I think you are, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know how you would know about it otherwise, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like one of the best things about the community is that like so many people are genuinely just there to help. And like, especially writers, like, you know, 
who I'm now at a point where I'm just starting to break in as are you. It's like if a newbie writer had questions for me, I would be happy to answer because it's like, I finally feel useful. Like my knowledge that I've accrued yeah. over these years, <laughs> I can actually maybe tell someone something and, you know, like help them. Whereas, you know, years ago, I would never have had the confidence to do that. Cause it's like, Oh dude, we're in the same boat. Like, I don't know what's going on either, but, um, but yeah, people, people are willing to help. So reach out. I do want to jump back in and ask. So we know that, um, you like to try to dig into your concept a little more and relate it to a theme. And by theme, you want to relate it to who are the characters going through this journey um, as like kind of a first thing that you do. But on average, from the moment you had that idea until you've typed the end on a first draft, how long do you think that usually is? I know you said you were a slower <laughs> writer and uh, oh, I'm going to put you put you on the spot here for me. If I'm really, really being diligent, it's like four months, maybe for a feature, like sometimes longer. The one I'm working on right now has been longer because, like I said, I was working on rewriting the other script that was in development and that kind of derailed all my progress on specs. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of I get everyone's circumstances different, but what's it like for you? Usually a time frame for like, say, a 100 page feature. So, you know how some animals you know have a very quick gestation period and then they have a whole lot of babies at once because they know that they're not going to survive in the wild mm -hmm. like mice will just you know you know just get pregnant like instantly and just give birth just instantly to just hundreds of these things yeah, yeah. and and then you have creatures like elephants that evolutionarily weren't you know necessarily prey Mm -hmm. And they would have, you know, their baby after, you know, after oh, God knows how many months and they would have one. Mm -hmm. And then they would have another after God knows how many months. Because mm -hmm. uh, I did not look this up. Um, I'm so excited to see where this yeah. metaphor is going. <laughs> I, sh I should be a mouse because <sighs> so many scripts die. You know, so many scripts die. Yeah. I am an yeah. elephant. I am an elephant. It's these things take forever for me. And... Uh -huh. You know, like with with a gun to my head, I think I can get one done in a few months, like four months, like you said. Yeah, I'll I'll take a year on a project like it'll just take forever for me. Yeah. Four months is also gun to my head. Like <laughs> you were getting this done the most most of the times when I did four months is because a semester of film school is four months. And it's like that was oh, the yeah. project. And that's what I had to get done um, by the last day of a class when I was turning in my feature that I finished, I never loved it. I was never like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's like so good. It was like, holy shit, I got it done. Thank God. But um, yeah. yeah, there was a, I, I was in a screenwriting course in college. Um, it was a two semester course. The first semester was all about developing outlines and the second semester was all about pages. And mm -hmm. we had a rotation where, you know, every day of class like four people would present their next you know 30 pages mm -hmm. and they would do a table read in the class and we would give notes and mm -hmm. you better have your 30 pages but when it's your turn mm -hmm. um and that was kind of a, an interesting boot camp um you know i uh the script that i wrote for that class you know which ended up being like a four-month thing like you said mm -hmm. uh was the first thing i wrote that got me any notice anywhere that started placing in contests. I got a manager briefly. I had some generals, nice. um, looking back, you know, I, that's probably one to rewrite. Um, yeah. but what, what was that was, one called? Uh, if you don't mind, it was called, it was called Wolf Spain. It was a okay. werewolf script. Nice. And 
it uh you know there 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 was there was a person in my class whose script in that in that class a rewritten version of it um ended up on the annual blacklist oh wow uh, I'll, i will tell you even in that class it was great yeah but yeah no there's there's something to be said for we are putting a gun to your head you have to write but you have to get you have to hit these benchmarks and mm-hmm. uh you know because as much as i would just love there to be these days of the muse has arrived and has gifted me the pages that i'm going to write and oh i'm going to start typing them now yeah it, it doesn't happen you just kind of have to force yourself to write yep and you know in in time it will be good <laughs> yeah i'm doing that so, tonight now that we're talking about this so much uh, th- just like you i'm like when i get off this i gotta write uh, i gotta right. get some stuff done but like um yeah yeah no i i totally hear you and sometimes i really miss my film school days because of that the you know the gun mm-hmm. to your head pressure of like just write it dude yeah. you can't show up with nothing and then sometimes like you said you get in there and you're like oh this is actually kind of good let me keep going you know and yeah. you and you start feeling it and that's half the battle for me. I also like have ADHDs and like, I, I actually don't take medicine for it. Just long story there. But like, mm-hmm. um, so I definitely have trouble with that sometimes. And a lot of times the hardest part is getting started. Um, and that goes with anything, you know, cleaning the house, you're doing whatever. Like, it's like, I'm like, uh, you know, I'll do anything to avoid starting. And then once I do, I'm like, I get into it really quickly and I'm like, Oh, well let's, you know, also clean over here and like, let's do this and that. And like, then it's kind of hard to stop. You're on a roll. And I do that with writing. I really need to force myself to get into that groove more often. Oh yeah. When I was a kid, my family uh, would go to this, uh, this water park and there were these different water slides of different shapes. And the, uh, the blue slide was like this winding slow, you know, roller coaster shaped thing that, you know, you get in and it's fun, but it's slow. And the red one was basically, it was kind of this, uh, the slope that was a relatively quick ride to the bottom. And then there was the, the white slide, which was mm. basically a vertical drop. Um, yeah. And I would always get to the top of that. And there would be this moment in my head of, I don't have to go through with this. I don't want to go through with this. This is scary. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get on the red slide. That's right next to it. Yeah. And that's how I feel every time I'm, I have to like sit down and actually write something of like, I'm at the top of this slide and if I, and I'm very nervous about this right now and it just looks so daunting. Do I just, do I have to, but once you start, like once you go, once you actually sit down on the slide and just do that little push forward, gravity does the rest and it's, yeah. and and you're fine at the bottom, you know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. so that, that's, that's, that's a lot of writing to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny hearing that too, from someone who's obviously written multiple projects, you know, like this isn't, isn't your first rodeo ever and it still feels that way because i relate to that so hard that never goes away never goes away (laughs) i don't think it does yeah um okay so let's see i'm i'm sorry i'm almost on the verge of keeping you long and i don't want to do that so let's have a good take your time okay thank you uh so when your first draft is complete what's the first thing that you do do you send it to some trusted peers do you have a writer's group do you maybe like do one of those paid feedback services? Do you throw it in a contest? What's the first thing you do when you finish a first draft? Well, the first thing I do when I finish a first draft is I do a typo pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I One thing I like to do, I, I got advice really early on uh, when I started writing way back. Um, that was pretend you're being paid $100 for every word you cut. 
Um, and I would just kind of go through looking for, if I cut this word, does the sentence still work? Oh, it's better now. Okay, cool. If, do I cut, if I cut the sentence, do I still understand the scene? If I cut this beat, if I cut this character, does this character actually have to be there? You know, mm-hmm. like, because then you find yourself either reclaiming a whole lot of real estate on the page or taking things that you like that weren't justified and justifying them because you want to keep them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it makes a tighter draft. Mm-hmm. And once I have that, uh, I'm in a writer group. Um, you know, I'll I'll show pages to the group. Uh, or else I have friends who I, you know, who I trust to give me honest feedback that will help me and not crush me, but also, you know, is, is actually useful and actionable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I, 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 there, there are people I run by, um, in that first pass, um, because like I said earlier, you know, while I was writing it, I was trying to make sure that this thing would be readable, even it's in its rough pat in its rough form so i try to have a, a rough draft that is or first draft rather that is as clean as i think i can get it before i start getting notes that inform the next pass mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah oh my goodness sorry yeah i like that <laughs> a lot um yeah and writers groups are really invaluable i need to probably find myself another one again i, I was in one for a while and it was really great and it's that thing that I missed from film school. We would bring in, in my last feature class, 10 pages a week. We would assign our uh, classmates parts, you know, however many speaking parts there were. You would narrate and uh, we would read them out loud and then give our thoughts every week, week to week. And that's kind of like writer's groups in a, in a way, maybe not assigning parts. But um, but yeah, it was just invaluable. And I think that's one of the reasons maybe that like I've kind of slowed. I, I, I found... I feel like you might relate relate to this. I found that the more I just do it by myself, you know, not really showing it to people and stuff, the more I can get in my head. And then I get to a point where I'm like, is this even good? You know, and then sometimes I've gotten over that hump and showed it to the first group of people. And they're like, dude, this is great. And I'm like, I knew it was good. I knew it, but I got (laughs) too close to the material. I was in my little, you know, just like bedroom with it no one else reading it, just me reading it over and over and over and starting to convince myself it's bad. So yeah, I think that um, this is me basically talking out loud that I need to get back into a writer's group, but also, you know, for other people, if you've never been in one, not a bad thing to try to find one. And Jennifer Dunn, I think at writer Jen Dunn is her handle, but Jennifer Dunn, if you look her up, you'll find her screenwriter and producer. She made an app called the community notes app where people can get in and find other people who are looking for writers groups. And it's really cool. She like paid for it out of pocket. She actually has an episode of my podcast. If you go back in the episodes further, you can find one where um, she explains the whole thing. And uh, it's really, really cool that she did that. But, um, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, a writer group yeah. is invaluable. It, it, you know, you get great notes. It teaches you how to give notes. Um, yeah, and you know, and it's true what you say. Like, I found at least in my experience, everything I write is garbage until I show it to somebody, and then they tell me they like it, and then in my view, it's perfect. How can yeah. you change it? <laughs> you know? I know, I know. Yeah, it's quick. It's funny how quick that changes. Um, yeah. Okay, so to get away from writing for a second, what are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting that kind of help keep you sane? 
<laughs> besides going uh, and walking around and picketing day after day. God, so much of that. Um, I am putting aside like watching TV and movies because, you know, I am. I do you know. count that as a hobby. Though, <laughs> that's one of mine. Okay. And it's I consistent do, I, yeah. across all of us writers. Everyone's yeah. like, is it okay to say TV and movies? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what we all do. I want- I watch a lot of TV and movies, um, yeah. a, a good, a good horror movie. Um, you know, same just um, a Godzilla fanatic. Um, yeah. I play words with friends daily. Uh, yeah. I have Pokemon go, which is a game where you can't possibly lose. So it's just kind of like a fidget spinner, you know, just a thing to do with your fingers. <laughs> yeah. Um, lately with the strike, you know, I, I've been trying to get back into reading books Mm -hmm. um because i i've gone such a long period of just reading scripts and it was starting to burn me out and just reading a book for pleasure Mm -hmm. you know has it's 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 just been it it, it's weird to discover that it's actually something i just missed this whole time Mm -hmm. so i've been reading some some very fun uh sci-fi novels uh Ooh. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really it's really those things, you know. I, yeah. I wish I could say I was more well rounded and I'm really into like racquetball or something, but you know, yeah. I'm not a very athletic person. Um before the strike started, I went to the gym bi weekly or as in twice a week, not every two weeks. Um mm-hmm. I haven't been doing it since the strike started because mm-hmm. I mean it's so exhausting to just walk for hours. Um I but that's something say- that I Walking is good exercise too. The amount of walking you guys are doing. I saw um, Katie White posted her like uh, like mileage or whatever for the day. Her oh, step yeah. counter. It was ridiculous. It was more than I've ever walked in my life. And I used to like. Me today. Yeah. 18K just in one day. 18,000 yeah. steps. And like my all time record for steps, I think, was a Thanksgiving that I was working at Golden Corral as a server. And I worked oh, a yeah. double and I think I walked like 26,000, but that's oh, like, my God, that's a one-off like crazy day. And um, so to see you guys are getting like near that out there picketing, you know, not working a crazy Thanksgiving at a packed restaurant. Um, I was like, damn, they're getting some steps in. And I forget what Katie's was, but it was like, it was like 25 or like 20. It might've been more than mine. It might've been like 27. Wow. I forget. But anyway, um, yeah, I, well, I count that is- as pretty intense exercise yeah. well yeah because like it's slow and steady but it's endless so it's like yeah. you know it, it adds up and you don't realize it's adding up until you check but yeah no i mean mm-hmm. i look forward to going back to the gym after this is all done uh yeah. do miss that yeah. um yeah you know it's it's those um uh, i uh you know i love a good comic book i'm not caught up on most of them but every so often i'll just go get a graphic novel and enjoy that mm-hmm. um and, I love it. All good, all good nerd and I hobbies. Wish I, that's and, what my and, hobbies yeah. are too. Yeah, nerd hobbies. I, I wish I could yeah. say I was a, I was I, I played video games. I don't, you know, Pokemon Go is my, is what I've got. Um, that's a good but... thing, honestly, because I do partake <laughs> in video games and I feel guilty about it all the time. Because while they're fun, they're <laughs> just time killers, and like you don't really end up with anything to benefit your life, you know. Unless you Definitely. turn into well, one of those like really good players who makes money, but that's not me. But it's satisfying it's, and it's, you know, and it's fun. Like, I, like, I don't begrudge that of anybody. It's just not something that I've got in my life, but yeah, you know, it's, it's weird to say, but I guess, you know, 
the Jewish stuff like Shabbos, you know, like it's, it's mandatory yeah. for me, but also it's, I do it every week. So I guess that counts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. And I'm sure there's obviously a sense of community there and all those things like, yeah, that definitely counts to me. Um, I don't know if it's almost insulting to call it a hobby, <laughs> you know, cause it's kind of more of a way of life, but, um, but, but we'll, it's, it feels we'll the same it. thing though. It feels, it's like, what do you do when you're not doing this? Well, I guess I'm doing that you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's obviously vital to have those things outside of this world. You can't just write, read scripts, make films and watch TV and movies as your only stuff. Like you got to try to find some other ways to turn yeah. it off. And for me, like I casually, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big hockey fan. And one of the reasons I really love watching hockey is it has nothing to do with narrative story at all. <laughs> it's just, you just turn it on and just watch this. And it's just kind of a nice, well, break. they got stories, you know, you got winners and losers. You have objectives. Yeah, there are storylines. Right? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> there are storylines. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, if, if all, if as writers, all we do is read scripts and watch movies, then all we'll ever write are things that are reminiscent of those. Yeah. And, and that's not bringing something new into the world. That's just, that's just uh you know, derivative. So yep. yeah, no, Which like, is what like, chat GPT would be. Basically chat GPT is like that without the ability to think of something else in the process, you know, like yeah. it's like a step between chat GPT and something inspired by the life that you've lived. You know, it's like a half yes. step. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, like hockey is, you know, it's it, like as like sports in general it's like it's like this other continuum that you could just kind of plug yourself into that's just on its own path i guess yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah um yeah it just helps me to turn that part of my brain off you know and do something else but okay so what of the scripts that you've written i'm gonna make you choose one of your children here of the scripts that you've written which is your favorite and why Ooh. it's a tough one you know, I'm going to say Precipice. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm going to say it is because it has accomplished the most for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not going to say I love all my scripts equally. I don't. Mm -hmm. um, me neither. <laughs> my, my last three completed projects are my favorite things that I've written. And I think, you know, like i don't want you know not 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 to be you know a, a conceited arrogant fool or anything like that but but i do think they're all really good and i think they're all you know like uh, like on a level with each other yeah this one in particular because it's gone such a journey mm -hmm. um and has you know been the closest thing that i have had to a career in this mm -hmm. um and has led to life stories you know like that's mm -hmm. like because of that and because you know of all of the external validation that comes with that of how many people have to say yes for it to get to the next step mm -hmm. um that's i i i will i will give it that yeah no that's awesome yeah and you know the the nickel top 50 thing too is nothing you know to not brag about that's pretty awesome so yeah that makes sense to me the um, nickel top 50 certainly didn't hurt in getting it off the ground yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so what is a recent accomplishment that you're proud of? It could be screenwriting related, but it doesn't have to be. There was one day last week where I walked 20,000 steps. 
Hey, there you go. <laughs> All right. That's nice. 20K. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, she I, almost got there yeah. again today. I'm I'm going to say, I mean, the, the picketing has been a source of pride for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being able to look back and say, hey, look, I've been showing up, you know, keeping track yeah. of how many days it's been. Like, this was my 16th day on a picket mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Um, my 16th day, day doing any picket line, um, you know, of yeah. this nature. It's a... It's it's a good feeling. I feel I feel like you know like you know like you said. Not everybody has the opportunity to do it. It's mm-hmm. so there. It's it's there's L.A. There's New York and there's satellite stuff happening in Jersey and Atlanta. But mm-hmm. so like so many people can't because I'm here. I feel like if I wasn't doing it, and this is no shade to people who don't do it, like I, like I really don't want to be right. condescending it's, at all in that it's way. It's a personal decision, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, knowing that it's right in my neighborhood and I could be there, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to be there. Yeah, and then I I feel satisfied at the end of that at the end of that each day. So that that is something that I feel proud of. Definitely, definitely. That's awesome for sure. And I and I think I speak for people who can't be there, that I really appreciate you being out there. And I appreciate every single writer who is going to these things, because if it was in my neighborhood, if it was more convenient for me and not like Chicago yeah. is like five hours, five, you know, away. So it's a yeah, uh, support of, all, quite of do all, it easy. support of all stripes is great, whether you can get to a picket line or not. And by the way, yeah. It's not just writers out there. We've got we've got SAG there every single day. They are always there. Yeah. Um, there's IATSE sometimes on the line. There's other unions. There was somebody from the nurses union last week. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. There's directors, there's producers, there's people of all stripes. Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a an emergency call for a picket in Jersey City late at night. There was a show that was going to shoot. They wanted to get a picket line there. And they put out the call. And so I reached out to my sister's fiance who lives in Jersey city and he has nothing to do with film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's, he works in, in the computers sphere and I asked, yeah. is there any chance that you might be able to get to that picket line? And he did. And they were really glad he was there, even though he's, you know, he has no intention of joining the WGA. It's not his, yeah. it's not his world. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was appreciated regardless. So it's just one of those yeah. things where it's like support from whoever, however is, yeah it's appreciated and it's good to know it's appreciated. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you don't feel like you've walked away from that day wondering, did that get anything done? You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I know for me too, like I was already this way a little bit, but even more so now after seeing this, that like, it doesn't matter what the picket line is in the future. I'll never cross the picket line. Like, um, just, you know, as a, as a a way of life, because it's basically, I, if I had to blindly not know anything about their particular dilemma and it's corporation versus workers, I'm just going to say, I'm probably safe to side with the workers on, uh, on what's going on and what they're fighting for. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's an important thing. And, you know, if, um, just, I, I, I do believe in unions Funny story really quick. Whenever I started working at Walmart when I was a 17-year-old kid, um, one of the first things they do when they train you, I don't know if they still do this, but they brought me in a room and I watched this video. And it was basically just 20 minutes of like anti-union propaganda and oh how, like, how unions are like actually like hurt the worker. And like you're going to be more liberated as an employee working for Walmart without a union. 
Uh, and I was a 17 year old kid. I knew nothing about labor unions. I didn't care about anything. I was like, you're going to pay me seven twenty five an hour to work here. I'm in like whatever. And, uh, and this was like 2005 or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I watched this whole video. And as I grew through my twenties, I used to think back on that video and I was like, that was fucking weird. And, um, <laughs> and now even more than ever, I'm like, that was straight up crazy and creepy and like almost like cultish. Yeah in a way um it's very specifically cultish by the way i have a book to recommend um if you're oh, at yeah. all interested in cults uh called cultish um, cultish it's called okay. cultish it's uh it's about the linguistic tools that cults use to uh you know to indoctrinate and then control people and mm. it's about how those same linguistic tools are used by plenty of people and organizations and things that aren't cults wow. like like say crossfit soul cycle the thing you're describing right now like it's there's it's it's such it's such a great read mm-hmm. um and it will also change the way that you look at the world <laughs> interesting yeah i've actually had a script before that didn't quite get off the ground but it was all about cults and i was doing a lot of research on cults and cult mindset and you know like be it the charles manson stuff or like jonestown or whatever and um really interesting stuff so i will take a look at that that sounds interesting and yeah i mean look unions aren't perfect you know like there's like there are plenty of flaws but yeah you know money doesn't trickle down so to speak which by the way trickle down assumes who's on the top right yeah um but you know if if the rich are on the top money doesn't trickle down it pools and really the only way to you know to make gains you know economically you know financially is to bargain and you need leverage and the only way to have leverage is to leverage the one thing you've got which is your labor so the idea of you know, it's what, what was that slogan? I, I'm, I've become so radicalized by these picket lines, but what was that slogan where it's like, you know, <laughs> united we bargain, divided we beg? Huh. Never heard that, and, but that's, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's true. Like, you're not going to get what you want by appealing to the better natures of the people who have the power to, uh, you know, to decide what you are paid and, you know, what you are worth. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, 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 the labor movement right now is strong for a reason and it's been interesting to be a witness to that and a participant and i'm excited to see where it goes amazing yeah i totally agree and i hope this thing gets settled soon uh final question for you avishai Uh, a few words of advice that you would give to your fellow screenwriters out there especially to those just getting started Mm. i know a lot of this episode has been that but what's like a, a final note final note be humble but know your worth mm-hmm. because you know don't be don't be a raging conceited maniac who you know says like my script is perfect how dare you even come close to touching it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like like you need you need to be willing to compromise you need to be willing to collaborate that said do not say yes to collaborators just because they have said yes to you. Mm-hmm. Do not say yes to a collaborator just because they say you need them more than they need you. Mm-hmm. You want to work with people who you can actually get along with, who respect you as you know, as a creator and as a person. Um, you want to 
stand behind the value of what you have brought to the table. Um, because it's so easy to fall into the trap of desperation of, I wrote a thing, you have the power to make it, therefore you are the person who matters here. Know your worth, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's important. Have a lawyer. <laughs> Don't negotiate <laughs> yeah. on your own. Don't negotiate mm -hmm. on your own behalf because you're not good at it. Whoever you yeah. are, whoever I'm talking to right now, yeah. if you're not a lawyer, you are not good at it. Get a lawyer. Yep. Um, you know, and, you know, be, be a collaborator, but know your worth. That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that so much. And I think that's so true. Um, and, you know, like you said, you should be working with people who respect you as the creator you are and what you bring to the table, but also vice versa. Don't just work yeah. with someone because you think they have like deep pockets or power. It's like, make sure that they're a good creative fit because you are going to be um, linked to this person for the life of that project. And with any luck, it's going to be a very long life. And you just want to make sure that you're in it for the same reasons and that you respect this person and that they're, you know, a kind human, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, it's important to me. It's very important to me. And like, uh, I just think it's you, you, there's so many horror stories out there of people getting, especially early in their career, linked up with the wrong people. And uh, it can just be a really bad misstep that can really take your career down the wrong path early and you don't want that. So uh, I yeah, totally second I, um, everything you said. Yeah. I I've been, I've been fortunate to work with some truly wonderful people the last mm -hmm. few years, mm -hmm. like not just like people I've enjoyed working with, just people I like, you yes, know, people I as like humans. who as people, as humans who, if mm -hmm. we weren't working together, we would still be friends. And that has yeah. been, that has been a game changer because there are so many sharks and yeah. I've certainly, you know, fallen into, you know, water with sharks uh, in, my, in, in my experience. And mm -hmm. sometimes you don't even realize what that's what that actually is until you've had a chance to work with somebody who respects you. And then you look back and you're like, wait a minute, that experience that was actually like kind of bloody and I lost an arm. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to lose an arm. I thought yeah. I was I, I, they. He told me that he had to take a bite out of my arm and I believed him, but it turns out, it turns out you don't have to do that. So like, yeah. it's, you know, you find, find your people, mm -hmm. um, be willing to say, no, you actually have that power. If, mm -hmm. you know, if, if what you, if what you wrote is great and, you know, and we, which by the way, if they're coming to you with interest in your script, you got to hope that you, you got to assume that your script is great. Yeah. If it actually is great, you need to, be able to have a say, you know, like you need to be able to say no to bad terms without mm -hmm. being afraid that you will lose them and therefore lose any anybody who'd possibly be interested in it. Mm -hmm. If it's great and they're actually there because they love it, yeah, then then if you turn down their their bad, you know, their bad offer, like hopefully they'll actually come back with a better one, you know? Yeah. No matter um, what, it needs to be just fair. It's yeah. not like and you need the, it to yeah. be amazingly in your favor, but it needs to be fair based upon. To, and that's where, like you said, a, a, lawyer, yeah. a lawyer comes into play too, because a lawyer knows market trends and what's yeah. the norm, especially for someone in my situation, say, for instance, as a first time screenwriter, you know, first time selling, um, who has wrote a smaller indie dramedy that's being done for X amount of dollars. Like they know, 
the norm around that and what the contract should yeah. look like. And it's about to change a lot, like you said, especially with, you know, depending on what changes are made in this next WGA contract with streamers, with regard to streamers, because streaming is obviously a huge, huge thing yeah. that needs to be discussed in this. But yeah, it's 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 just that, yeah. like, you know, as long as the deal is fair and if someone won't meet you in the middle at fair and are saying it's my bad terms or we walk, you don't want to be in business with that person. I don't care yes. who they are. Exactly. You know, like obviously norms will dictate, you know, what people will offer. Yeah. And maybe you'll look at those and say, I hope the WGA negotiates a better contract next time because I don't love this, but yeah. at least it's normal. But mm -hmm. if but if somebody's offering you something that is just abjectly not normal and they get upset at you for having the audacity to suggest something better. Mm -hmm get out you know it's not worth it don't yeah. you will actually you will actually regret selling your script to them because yeah. because for because odds are these things will fall apart as they are want to do mm -hmm. and would you rather fall apart and then belong to people who you do not want to work with or would you rather fall apart with somebody who tried their best who you've had a good experience with who maybe you'll work with again someday yeah hundred percent. And I don't know if I'm off base here because like I said, I've never been through the full process, but if they're doing such bad business with you in the beginning, I can't imagine that they're going to do great business with the other people that are going to be required to get this thing going and done. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if they're just kind of like snaky in that way, like you said, kind of sharky, um, you just, I don't know. You just want to go in with people that you're like, yeah, these people are not out to get one over on me. Uh, they like what I made. They're really excited to be a part of it. They want to pay me fairly. They want to pay everyone on the project fairly. And that's fine. No one needs to, it doesn't have to be a get rich thing for me on my end. You know, it's like literally just fair, fair is fair. Yeah. Fair is fair. And if they are, treating you unfairly then they're then they are treating other writers unfairly assuming that they're working with any other writers at all yes um yeah and just you know just get out just get Avoid out. It. it's not Avoid worth it, it. Yep. it's not worth it i i have never i have never regretted getting out of those kinds of decisions i have only ever regretted staying in them yeah same yeah the, i've really only been faced with one and i got out early and um looking back on it knowing what I know now, uh, the deal has only gotten worse in my mind, you know, that I was initially offered. And it was just a, it yeah. was a ludicrous amount of work for a ludicrously low amount of money. And, um, and it was an OWA an open writing assignment. If anyone doesn't know what oh, OWA yeah. is, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty much a joke. And I leaned on my old film professor <clears throat> and I told him what was going on. And he was like, yeah, that's like an insultingly low, number to be perfectly honest and i was like i thought so okay i'm gonna have to turn this down even though it would be the first money i ever made i was seeing stars a little bit i can make some money but um it was a ridiculously low number so i said no i held on to my integrity and i'm actually still really proud of myself for doing that because it would have been a horrible experience yeah. as you should be yeah for sure um, Avishai, it has been a pleasure getting to know you here. And I really, really appreciate you spending all this time talking to all of us and sharing your story and giving us the advice that you've picked, picked up along the way. Uh, it's been great, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andy. Yeah, it's been, this has been great.
All right, y'all. Episode 32 is in the books. I want to thank Avishai Weinberger for coming on the show. Very, very fun episode. Very great to talk to him. Um, I feel like he's razor sharp and very smart, and it was just cool to hear how his brain works. And uh, we had never talked before, but we had known each other on Twitter since like the beginning of the pandemic for me. Uh, when I really started using Twitter. So it was very cool to finally get to know him a little bit. And he did not disappoint. Very cool, funny, smart, nice guy. Um, that's it, guys. If you heard something in the episode that you like, that you want to talk about a little further, talk about it on Twitter and tag us up at Social Writer Pod. I would love to see it. Love to be a part of the conversations. Um, like I said earlier, CAPTCHA is going to be online for a little bit longer. If you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. If it disappears one day, you know why. It's because we're in that festival for a little bit until July 22nd at 9 p.m. at the High Point Theater in St. Louis, Missouri. We're part of Narrative Short Block 4. Really flashy name, Narrative Shorts 4. But um, that's the block that we're in of short films. I think I have another friend, a St. Louis friend, uh, playing in that same block that I went to film school with. So... Very cool stuff for our little local film community. And if you're in or around St. Louis and want to come out, I wouldn't stop you. That'd be very cool. Uh, that's it for now, guys. I want everybody to just uh, keep it cool out there. All Anyone who's in New York or anyone who is affected in any way by the wildfires in Canada, I hope you're doing okay. It's insane, the images and videos that are coming out of there. And I just hope that you guys are safe and breathing the cleanest air that you possibly can and i hope this all gets resolved very soon um but that's it for now guys everybody stay cool stay healthy be nice to each other i love you all okay uh, bye bye the social screenwriters podcast